I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. This is Maximum Firepower. My guest is longtime friend and musical comrade Dave Navarro. Shredders Unite. What's going on, man? I'm good, Tom. How are you? <laughs> I'm well. Just, I was laughing to myself as I was preparing for this interview because we've known each other for so many, so many years. Yes. And uh, I've been in two bands that have uh, pretty much nothing in common except for one thing. Neither band wants to follow Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> 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 like we were all on the side of the stage watching the crowd go like that. We're like, fuck, we got to go on after this. <laughs> what are we going to open with? What yeah. are we going <laughs> to... <laughs> that's that's funny, man. Well, well, I've, you know, I'm, I'm as a huge fan of your plans. Let's just start so where we where we initially met. Now, the first time that we were in a room together, we did not meet. Um, no. and I don't know if I've shared this with you. Was I I snuck into a Jane's rehearsal um, off of Melrose? And this was maybe '87 something yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe I know, the, I, know, I know the studio you're talking about. It was that Lily, spot there, yeah. Lillian Way and Hybrid Design. That was the, that's right. That, that was exactly where it is. Like, yeah, I, I lived right up on I lived right up on Normandy. Like there was a hot tip. The Jane's was rehearsing here and I I just like walked into the room and sat down on the floor now you would there were some other people sitting on the floor who were probably your friends and girlfriends and drug dealers whoever it was at the time and uh and I got to watch the band rehearse for about two hours and you played a lot of material that I was unfamiliar with I think that there was a like a cachet of songs that maybe later came out on ritual and stuff that were already in the can there yeah um so what are what are your memories of like that that time because it's it's hard to describe to people who weren't in la the like the the almost religious power of that band that it had over the city and and casting the nets welcoming in this what would later kind of maybe sort of be the Lollapalooza nation but at the time was this nation um, this tribe that was just discovering who it was, and we had our Santeria shamans. Yeah, James, my, James. you know, my memories of that time were, you know, it's it's such a strange time to reflect back on, especially at this age, because, you know, in the age of social media and internet and communication where it's at, like, we didn't have any of that back then. Yeah. So it was very difficult to gauge the level of... <clears throat> A value or impact that we had on the community or the music community yeah. or, or yeah. the world or on any any level because we couldn't search it we couldn't yes you <laughs> couldn't get feedback from the fan base nobody could yeah. tweet at you like yeah <laughs> so it's like really my life consisted of and i must have been about 19 at the time maybe mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh you know it was between home and rehearsal and shows and that was about it so i didn't really yeah. You know, and and never did we go out into the audience and hang out with people afterwards. Yeah. So like, I just yeah. really didn't know the difference. To be yeah, honest, yeah, you with weren't you. able to feel. Well, that's 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 fascinating because yeah. it was it was such a thing. And you know, it, I was you know part of the, you know, the people that that get in there, pack their, put their Marshall half stack in their van, and move from Illinois to Hollywood to try to figure it out. Like yes. you know, the, the great gold gold rush migration of, of, of rock and roll. And, you know, and, and my aspiration was to be 
like what I thought of the posters on my wall were like metal bands. Yes. You know, they were metal bands. They oh, were yeah. metal bands. And and I wanted to be that. But when I arrived, I found a very, very different scene. I thought maybe I could fit in my niche might be kind of the Steve Vai, Tony McAlpine, Yngwie yes. Malmsteen niche. Like I could play my ass off. Yeah. But but then when I arrived, the scene it was Jet Boy and and Faster Pussycat That's and right. Guns N' Roses and this kind of cowpunk thing. And the, the, everybody just looked so cool and couldn't play at all, but the pl- places know. were packed. And it was all like, and it was all this kind of like grimy sex stuff. And I was just like, I, I can't, I, I, I can't do any of that. <laughs> I know. I try to describe that time to people, what you're talking about, because even though I didn't move here, I certainly know, you know, I definitely was the half stack in the back of the hatchback yep. and take taking it to gigs playing and saying thank you good night and then getting down and like winding cords up myself oh you why the lights you, come the, on and you're just like all the, the beer the beer soaked cords that you're yeah. winding around the, your the, arm the there. is gone you know you're just leaving some <laughs> little club a coach house or something yeah. but um that time like i essentially came from the same background as you i, I came back from you know, Perkins and I had a metal band in high school. So mm. Steven, Steven and I were playing together since before Jane's Addiction. And we were playing... What, what, was it co- Yeah, I was going to say, was it cover songs? or was Yeah, it, it was uh, all cover songs. And it was yeah. like Scorpions, Metallica, Van Halen. So we came from that scene and uh, were heavily... You know, I was... I loved punk rock and I loved uh, like some of the post... Like the post-punk kind of goth stuff that was happening. Yep. But yep. as a shredder guy, I couldn't get past the lack of what I thought was musicianship at the time. Sure. sure. Which, yeah, which yeah. now I see as restraint or alternative thinking or even more but, creative, you know, a more creative way to say the same thing. At the time, at the age, I was like, but there's nobody ripping in here. So, But, yeah, thank, but thank goodness, because that, that's part of what I want to talk about is, is thank goodness yeah. that, that there was that element because James is one of my favorite bands, and one of the reasons, maybe along with like Soundgarden, maybe along with like a Living Color, there were a couple of bands, but but James, I put it at the apex of it, is it made heavy metal music okay for smart people and for people who were like are are you know who had like sort of an art people who were not into like groupies and the devil. You know what I mean? Like that was with all those songs. I loved all those bands that you're talking about, but I couldn't relate to anything in the Scorpions lyrics other than that they they kind of kicked ass, you know. And then there was a lot of like demon demonic imagery, which I I I mean, I guess that makes parents (laughs) mad and whatnot. (laughs) But 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 your band and particularly your guitar playing because you were obviously like on first listen to me, it's like that guy is a gunslinger, heavy metal guitar player. But 100%. in the But in the context of something completely different and a different, like, aiming for something completely different as a band yeah. that made, it was a revelation to me. It was like there's a different way to kick ass at electric guitar where you don't have to have, like, the tropes of, you know, of the devil and of, like, the limousine... No. motorcycle groupy thing and it yeah. can be about different stuff and yet without without budging one inch on the heaviness and the kick-ass shredding well, well the interesting thing about Jane's and and what you're talking about is i think once i hooked up with perry and lyrically saw where he was coming from and realized that oh 
being completely honest is way darker than a drawing of the devil. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh my God, like yeah. accessing yeah. what's really going on is yeah. truly yeah. darker than yeah. any of the stuff that I came from. And I, that resonated with me. And, and Perry and Eric Avery were very uh, respectful and in love with the musicianship that Steven and I brought into the band in terms of, you know, we wanted to rip at all times. And yeah. once we got in the band, they harnessed those aspects. You know, we were kids, we were right out of high school. Yes. Yeah, so they yeah, kind of yeah. harnessed those aspects that they loved and tried to dismiss the ones they didn't love. Yes. While at the same time, Perkins and I were still trying to force things yes. that we loved in. So yes, yeah. like yeah. for instance, uh, Perry and Eric, we're not Rush fans, okay? I would per not imagine that they were. I would no. not imagine. That they However, were. Yeah, yeah. Perkins and I were Rush fans. So when it came to a song like Three Days or, sure. you know, Then She Did, which are essentially poems of really mm -hmm. significant lyrical content, and they were long form, and they were eight, nine minutes, well, that's where Perkins and I were like, well, this is like Rush. So like, yeah. we, we, you know what I mean? Like we're like, great. Yeah. It was like hemisphere. Yeah. We're doing hemispheres. <laughs> but but, but uh, so I think that at that time, though, the juxtaposition of where they were coming from, where we were coming from is what helped create what, what you found. And yeah. uh, when another thing that kind of kept us away from being attached to any genre is because our friends and the bands that we would play with were nothing like us. That's correct. Yeah, you yep. know, and it was yep. great. Yep. And I think that's where the idea for the first Lollapalooza came yep. together was because that bill was very. Everybody was kind of alternative, but they all had their own niche of it. You know, yep. you had you know you had the body count, you had yes. living yeah. living color, yeah. you you know, and fishbone Su and Su Susie, Susie. Yeah. like yeah. all yeah. these different little yeah areas of the alternative scene kind of put together on the same stage we were all like wow we're all kind of doing the same thing all of a sudden that's right yeah um and back, it was back music then. it was music for it was music for misfits that then became the mainstream that's in right. part because of that tour you know yeah. like it was it, it was really that that tour was while there had been you know multi-band more diverse festivals in europe that was the first time in the united states where in, in an you know in an amphitheater, eighteen thousand people or whatever or thirty however many it was on whatever the day got to see this real eclectic mix and it really full I thought that I you know I think that Jane's as a band musically kind of helped save hard rock music in a way but that tour forged what was alt what became the massive global genre of alternative music and making it okay under this one banner of weirdness. Yeah. To kind of be whoever you wanted. That's what got Rage Against the Machine. Like that when we got, because we came in the wake of that. You know, there was like there was Jane's and there was Soundgarden, there was Primus. Then there was like the commercial success of Pearl Jam and Nirvana, and that's when I think that the record industry let go of thinking they knew how to make something happen. It was no longer you bring in the like the A and R guy to you know dress them up and have yeah. the songwriters come yeah, yeah, in. Yeah. And this, it's like we don't understand this, but whatever is really happening is the thing and that yeah. opened the door for for rage for sure i'm tom morello this is maximum firepower my guest is the dave navarro so you have had not just a second act but like a third act in an incredible way for someone who has you know sort of gone through the gauntlet of rock and drug addiction and whatnot to become 
you know, like a TV, kind of a TV star for like 12 seasons or something like yeah. that. It's one thing to like be a person who has tattoos. It's one yeah. thing to be a person who exists in a world where there's kind of like reality TV show competitions. Um, but how did you, how did that not just come about, but how did you get over in such a great way with that show? It's kind of miraculous. It is. It's hard to believe. And, and honestly, I don't know because it was never my intention to be, I never auditioned for anything. I never yep. sought out anything until I was not, it was the, the furthest thing from my mind. Whereas Just so I people got, know, we're talking, we're talking about the ink, the show Ink Master, that's right. which was a, which was a, uh, which was on for how many years? Years. So, well, 13 seasons. Yeah. 13, so. 13 seasons where it was a competition of tattoo artists to do tattoo art. Sometimes they would even tattoo Dave, yes, right? If you, if you exactly win the contest, exactly yeah, you get to tattoo day. But anyway, but I, it was but a it just, hugely it just, popular show with Dave. It, just came, it came about, and I just someone said, "Are you interested in?" And and I, you know, at the time, like I just was like, "Well, you're asking me if I want to just go hang out and watch artists excel at what they do and just be inspired by that." That was the only. That was all. I. It's all it required from me, and that's how I looked mm -hmm. at it. It was like. I love art. I love visual arts, cinema, and music, and what any kind of ex any kind of artistic expression. And and these guys are basically doing the same thing in a in a world that I don't live in, except as a client. And yeah. um, so I, I just said, yeah, that sounds like fun. And the thing just kind of caught on. And it was weird when you notice the difference between being a visible musician versus yes. a visible person on television yes because yes. now now i'm hitting the music fans but i'm also hitting all of their family members so yes, it, yeah. it actually it, it actually cranked up my visibility more than i was comfortable with yeah because yeah. i enjoyed being able to walk through the airport i enjoyed right. you know going right. to a restaurant and then it, that's the, i was over after that yeah. you know yeah. and so right. it was kind of a double-edged sword whereas i really I, enjoy, I loved doing the show and I loved watching the artwork happen and, and watching people excel at their craft. I mean, there's nothing more inspiring. And you can, draw, you can draw inspiration from anybody who's just kind of up against it and going under the gauntlet and, and still coming through. And I, saw, I got to see that every single day. But at the same time, like, I would have people come up to me on the street and tell me they love the show who had no idea that I was a musician. At all. Yes. Yes. And yes, I was like, well, yes. well, this isn't. I don't do this. This isn't. Yeah, yeah. This is. <laughs> this is. This isn't is, is an opportunity. This yeah. Is, this isn't this me. Isn't, this... <laughs> but you know, well, one of the things that I think is, you know, and I appreciate you bringing it up, but one of the things that I've been kind of grateful for, in in a, a bizarre way, is that James or anything I've done, we've never cracked through and been like this super huge thing that could eventually be, uh, you know, a fall to the wayside. Like, I mm -hmm. I feel like we've just kind of main, we've just kept hanging in there. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. We, we never went totally away and we never broke massive, which yeah, al yeah. Allowed, allowed for some longevity, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So talk for a minute, like, about how has your sobriety impacted your life? Because, you know, when we met, you were not a sober person. And no. I know that there's there's been an ebb and a flow at times. Yeah. Oh, talk yeah. for a minute about that, because I think that's important for people to just hear. Well, I mean, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, those early years of drug addiction and, you know, there were good times. And I'm not going to lie about that. But for the most part, it was it was pretty miserable and, and made for a pretty horrible dynamic within the band. And ultimately, I think, destroyed the band because you had three people who were 
trying to invent what's going on in each other's heads and and emotionally responding to it. Oh, you know geez. what I mean? So like, you know that 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 kind of thing. It's like that's yeah. when the drugs really start. Like going, I'll bet he's thinking this. So fuck him. And you, <laughs> you and we're all doing that. So like, you know, it really just didn't make for anything to be. Uh, to work and and I will say that for the last couple of years of Jane's, Eric and I were pretty pretty clean by then. So by the mm, time mm. it was like 1990, 1991, we were pretty together. So I was able to go to Lollapalooza and I was able to stand on the side of the stage from noon on. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I would literally stand there from the first band until it was time to go. Yeah, and they yeah. just kind of hustle over to the other side and play. I mean, got to see Nine Inch Nails every day at three in the afternoon. Incredible. Yep. Yep. Broad yep. daylight. You know, incredible. It was just the coolest incredible. fucking thing. Yep. But um, you know, I've obviously long since put that stuff down, and it just, you know, I'm I'm more about connection and doing stuff because I'm inspired and because I love it rather than having some kind of attachment to an outcome, and mm -hmm. I think that. You know, just like all the, just all the, all the negativity and all the darkness that 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 kind of lifestyle brings into uh, one's life when they're trying to do something that's essentially from the heart and that's creative, it tends to uh, stifle it and, mm -hmm. and make it so you're not even able to get your own message across. You know, yeah. and so I think I think that, um, and if it does, it's it's through a, a pair of goggles that you don't want to really be looking through. You know, you certainly yeah. don't want to be looking back through it. You know, but um, I, I would say that I have enjoyed and loved playing a thousand times over more since I put all that down because then I'm really able to tap into, you know, whoever that 11 year old kid with the guitar at home in his in his bedroom playing. I'm able to take, tap back into that a little bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. And the thing that I really loved about it to begin with. The fact that some people are able, you know, it, you know historically, whether it's a Coltrane or a Hendrix who, you know, their, their creativity is in some ways wrapped up in being high is was yeah. always like so foreign to me. Like I once it was an early kind of rage show. I had a really crappy show. And then I was like, like, man, like what was wrong? And I realized that I had had something to drink before the show. And I just thought, well, I don't want a crappy show. No, I, know. <laughs> I don't want a crappy show. Well, I mean, I there's also, you know, if you crap. even put it, you know, you put it to artists that were either amazing or terrible. Yes. And Hendrix had some pretty terrible shows. I mean, of course, apparently of course. the first night of Band of Gypsies was not good. And then the <laughs> second night is when the record that we have today yeah. that we all yeah, love yeah, yeah. was yeah, put yeah. together. And, and I, well. I know that similar thing that you're talking about is that the drugs, you know, again with the inner dynamics of the band being insanity and then you throw drugs on top of it and you throw miscommunication and misdirected yes. anger into yes. the soup and then yes. throw it out on stage for people to witness publicly yeah. you're going to have some you know you're going to have some some bad uh, bad results but you know ultimately even with with all like you know the quote unquote regrets in mind like I still wouldn't change any of it because, you know, whereas I think that a song like Three Days was still Perry and I tapping into our unconscious, it would not be the song it is had we not spent 24 hours on yes. speed focused yep. on it. You know what I mean? Yep. So, yep. 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 so I don't want to sit here and say, like, oh, I wish we never did that. Like, I'm, it is what it is. I'm it just is glad, what it is. I'm just it glad is. I'm still not doing that. Exactly. And, the, and that you survived it. 
and that you yeah, sur- and that you survived it. You know what I mean? That's a that's a key part. We're I able mean, to talk about especially it. especially after this year that we've had. I have lost so many people to overdoses and suicides and just like the worst trauma that you know that I've seen it, this intensely condensed ever in my life you know mm. for people just for the world and, and certainly mm. people that i know and i'm just so grateful that i was able to uh deal with those things long before we found ourselves in this world right right yeah i mean you know imagine I mean? the pressure cooker yeah if that was not the case i mean imagine imagine a kid trying to get clean or get it together under like you know the height of the pandemic where everything's yeah. locked down they can't even go yeah. to a meeting they can't you know everything's on zoom and there's no human connection it's it had to have been rough you know and i and i i'm just really grateful for the fact that i had music and art over the past year rather than you know my addiction because right, that would have right. killed that would for sure would have killed me yeah there's no uh, it's 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 so i mean it's been so stressful in 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 so many ways Okay, so I want to just to pivot a little bit. I know you have to leave, so like quickly, what's your top? What's your Mount Rushmore best metal guitar players of all time? Give oh my god, four. David Gilmore, David okay. Gilmore, Jimi yep. Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and throw Daniel Ash on my on my Rushmore okay. just because uh, he, the guitar player sure. of Bauhaus, was was the missing component in terms of my. Uh, my influences. He was the missing component in for the Jane's addiction thing. Cause yes, Gil- Gilmore, just introspective and melodic. Halen is groundbreaking and fucking a pioneer of just so much. Hendrix was just so saturated in the blues and just like mm-hmm. deep, deep blues background. And then Daniel Ash, who just took the guitar from a whole nother angle and almost kind of made it this angular device. Yep. Um, that's what I drew from. What's your Mount Rushmore? Oh, I mean, off the, it cha- it changes. I, I would probably go Jimmy Page for the riffs and uh, and the uh, orchestration. Randy Rhodes for me for the combination yeah. of like the technique and fire. Yes. Um, I would go Jimi Hendrix for reimagining the instrument and sort of bringing out of like sort of from a Buddy Holly world into anything's possible world and then i'm gonna go my outlier would be uh andy gill from gang of four who for me nice yeah who was for me was like the missing component of like this kind of outside playing of you know like you're you're not always playing for the song sometimes you're playing against the song against it totally you you know what i mean and that and that that way just a way of like looking at music as a thing that can be it can be confront like lyrics all lyrics aside the music can be confrontational from the point of view of the guitar player you know yeah, what i mean it can, it, it can conflict within itself yeah and yeah, sometimes yeah, yeah that's yeah. a beautiful thing and when i was yeah. in the chili peppers we played lots of gang of four shit so i got a oh yeah a crash course on him and i did learn all those parts and i was like this guy's coming from a completely different completely space. different place completely <laughs> different place and you know and then to try to have you know it, for me like having those different arrows in my quiver of both the shreddy you know randy road stuff and the you know one guitar solo might be just a note that's in a different key as the song yeah the end you know randy, then, <laughs> randy for me was the guy who made it like okay to double a guitar solo Sure, sure, sure. Dude, because yeah. I just yeah. fucking Or triple, love. as he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that sound. I just yeah. love how he did that. <laughs> and, okay, and absolutely lastly, what happened to the Black Les Paul from the early Janes days? I love that guitar. Where is that? I don't know where that is, but I will mm. tell you that uh, 
man, when I was, I was there was a that was time a badass. I, that was a badass guitar, dude. I love that guitar. I'll tell you that. I think Perry broke it at a show. He threw it and it cracked. The neck cracked in half. Got it repaired. Never was the same. And I think uh. it just saw. It ended up seeing its way to uh, a pawn shop nearby. Mm. But mm. I will say that it's a years tragic later. Tale. Yeah, but years later, I I was playing with Guns N' Roses for like two seconds because I was considering uh, hopping on board that train. And uh, I had a Les Paul, and I ended up giving it to John Frusciante uh, mm. when he was in treatment, you know, years years before the Peppers, and for me anyway. And John did what junkies do with guitars, which is you know, the same thing I did with many of mine. And But years later, when he got his life together, he brought a Black Beauty back to me as a gift. So I have the Black Beauty, Les Paul, 70s era yeah. that I had for those early, the one that you're talking about. Yeah. It kind of came back to me through John, which is pretty Oh, well, that's, love, that's lovely. That's like, well, that's yeah. a badass guitar. All right. Well, Dave, thank you very much for, for your time. And it's always, I, I look forward to a time when we can sit at the rainbow and just I do too, man. Rock I, I, and, and you whatnot. know, yeah. anytime, Tom. Thank you so much, brother. This has been Maximum Firepower with Tom Morello. Thanks very much, Dave Navarro. Until next time, take it easy, but take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.